Hi, I'm Fred, and I'm a recovering warrior. You know the old saying, if you see ten troubles come at you down the path, you can be sure that nine of them will fall into the ditch before they reach you? Well, I'd be the guy who would worry that the other nine would later crawl out of the ditch and come get me. I am getting better, although there are far too many times that I relapse. I'm the one who will encourage someone who is worrying or has, is having trouble and say, don't worry, God's got this. And then I'll turn around and worry on their behalf. When Jenny moved to California a few years ago, I used to wake up every single night worrying about her. Thankfully, one night I sensed God saying to me, I love her more than you do. I've got her. And I haven't worried about that particular thing since. Of course, there are plenty of things, other things to worry about, right? There's a saying, why worry when you can pray? I think a lot of us think, why pray when you can worry? So today, I'm preaching to myself. And the rest of you are more than welcome to tune in. We live in a world that's full of anxiety and worry. People worry about the weather. I'll admit that uh, when it started sprinkling on our way over here, I got a little concerned. People worry about, they're afraid their jobs, their plans will be ruined, their jobs, their children, their future. Many worry about who's going to be elected in the next election and what that will mean for their life. Health is a major subject of worry, especially considering the events of the past year. People are Many people are worrying, well, did I have COVID and didn't realize it? Is it going to come back on me? Who knows? Some worry that their influence, whether personal or group, is, is waning. Our world is changing quicker than most of us can keep up with, and we're anxious and fearful. And worry has become big business. From 1986 to 2020, yearly spending on treatment of mental health in the United States rose from $31.8 billion to $238.4 billion. So why worry about worrying? Well, one reason is it is bad for your physical and mental health. Worrying too much can cause your nervous system to release stress hormones, speed up your heart rate and breathing, raise your blood sugar, and send more blood to your arms and legs. Your neck and your shoulder muscles can tighten up, leading to tension headaches, migraines. You're more likely to have high blood pressure, a heart attack, or a stroke. Your immune system could be weakened, making you more susceptible to sickness. You're prone to acid reflux and ulcers. Worrying can make you depressed and can affect your relationships with others. You can have panic attacks, be unable to relax, leading to sleepless nights. And then you begin to avoid friends and family. Like everything bad in this world, this is ultimately the result of the fall, the result of sin. 
So am I saying that worrying is sin? Well, yeah. In verse 25, Jesus gives us a command to not worry or to be anxious. When we worry, we are being disobedient. Like I said, I'm preaching to myself. As we always want to do whenever we study Scripture, we have to look at these verses in context rather than in a vacuum. As we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we see that every verse ties in together with the whole, and we shouldn't take them out of context. Chapter 5 introduces the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. I think chapter 6, as taken as a whole, is about treasure, what we value. We're told not to store up treasures here on earth, not to seek the treasure of human approval when we do good deeds, pray, or fast. As we look at this passage this morning, I think we'll see that seeking validation and approval from other people and trying to gather up the treasures of this world will lead us to worry and to be anxious. When we do good deeds to impress others, we worry that maybe the right people didn't see it. Or the good deed wasn't enough. Or maybe even that people see us as hypocritical. Maybe because we were. When we make flowery prayers using all the correct religious words, we worry that it might not have been enough to impress others with our spirituality. Or that we didn't say it in just the right way to convince God to grant our request. When we make a production out of fasting, we again worry that we might not be seen as spiritual enough. Maybe we didn't fast long enough. Maybe we should have gone another day. Or didn't appear appropriately somber. And of course, if we're chasing the riches of this world, we will worry that they might be stolen, they might rot, fall apart, or even go out of style. We'll worry the things of this world are hard masters. If we serve them, we'll worry that what we do will not be enough to keep them happy. Look at the ups and downs in the stock market, the pain and anguish that it causes. Think of the folks who have ended their lives because the market tanked. And this just didn't happen in the Great Depression. This happened not too long ago that people were committing suicide because the stock market had crashed or their stocks had gone down. The things of this world, the things that those outside of the kingdom run after will leave us sorrowing or worse. The Pharisees in Jesus' day practiced a righteousness that was all about looking good on the outside. They kept the law in a very mechanistic way. They missed the point of what the law was all about. They were all about the outward, perhaps thinking that they were setting a good example for the rabble. The religious leaders were the self-appointed arbiters of what holiness was. They were constantly on the lookout for any breach of conduct or deviation from their teachings. 
They were worried, to paraphrase H.L. Mencken, that someone somewhere might be having fun. And they were not a happy bunch of individuals. So what does Jesus have to say about all this? Simply, don't worry. Sounds easy enough, right? Well, it might not be easy, but it is possible. In verse 25, Jesus says, therefore, do not worry. Now that word, therefore, is significant. It points back to what precedes it. In verse, in the 24 verses leading up to this, we've been told that there are two ways of doing things. There's the way of those who are part of the kingdom of God and the way of those who do what they do for their own benefit and value the praise of those that are like them. They chase after things that will soon be no more, becoming servants to them. Those in the heavenly kingdom do what they do for the glory of God, their king, and they chase after eternal things, serving God and serving others for his glory. They're dependent on no one but their heavenly father, and they trust him to take care of them. Jesus is saying that if we are following and obeying him, we will be generous in our lacks of mercy in our acts of mercy, not being concerned if anyone else sees us or knows what we have done. We will pray secretly to our Father, asking him to give us what we need each day, without feeling the need to impress others with our prayers, or feeling we have to repeat certain phrases over and over again in order to convince God to hear us. The uh, the Buddhists have prayer wheels that they turn, and they have certain mantras on them. And the idea is the more times you turn those prayer wheels, the more times those mantras get spoken, and the more holy, the more one with the, excuse me, with the universe you become. Well, we don't have to do that. We don't have to constantly repeat words for our Father to hear us. Our fasting will be a private thing because we're fasting to be seen only by our Father. And we will treasure things that last, things of heaven rather than the things of this world that will pass away. Therefore, because these things are true, do not worry. Don't worry about your life because it's in the Father's hands. Don't fret over having enough food and drink to nourish your body. You can, you can fast because you trust God to, ca- to take care of your physical needs. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. That's when the devil came and tempted him. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone. It's more than just the daily bread that sustains us. Therefore, don't worry about making sure you have enough clothing. Your life is more than your food, and your body is more than what you wear. You are more than your possessions. More than all the stuff that this world tells you you have to have to live. 
Look at the creatures God has created. They don't sow. They don't reap a harvest. Yet they have enough to eat because their creator takes care of them. There are verses in the Psalms, I don't remember off the top of my head, and I didn't look them up, but they talk about God feeding the young lions, feeding the birds, and so on, and how they just simply trust him for their food. Now, which do you think is more valuable, a bird or someone created in the image of God? Not only that, someone who God calls his beloved child. I think that's a no-brainer. Verse 27 excuse me, can be translated either add a single hour to your life or add one cubit to your height. Either way, that works because we can't add a foot and a half to our height or an hour to our lifespan by worrying. In fact, we could take an hour off our lifespan sometimes by worrying. Now, I never tried this. But I had heard of people, usually boys, who would hang from a bar with weights attached to their feet, trying to get taller, trying to stretch themselves and get taller. Now, I I really don't know of anybody who was successful. I don't think that that would work. Then Jesus addressed the fashionistas. Why do you worry about clothes? Look at the flowers out in the fields. They don't work, but they're so beautiful that not even Solomon himself was arrayed like them. Think about the splendor of Solomon and how he dressed. And he didn't compare to that rooster over there, which is a beautiful-looking bird. The thing about the flowers and the grass is that eventually they're going to be cut down and thrown away or burned in the fire. They don't last. If they did, companies like Wilson's Nursery would go out of business because nobody would have to buy more flowers. So if God clothes plants so beautifully, considering that they soon will fade, won't he more than adequately clothe us, clothe us who are eternal? <clears throat> Another reason Jesus tells us not to worry is that that's what the pagans do. They run after all these things, food, drink, clothing, possessions, hence the creation of modern advertising. Those who don't know God are looking for the next big thing, the sleeker car with all the bells and whistle, the new type of food or drink, the newest fashion, the bigger house. Their motto is, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Well, they don't realize that whoever dies with the most toys still dies. They don't have a loving father to provide for them. So they have to go out and get it, get it themselves. And since many believe that life and its stuff is a zero-sum game, they have to make sure that they get it before the next guy. 
And if they have to keep the other guy from getting it, well, that's life. And increasingly, what we are seeing, there are some who decide that they have to have something and they'll steal it from someone. Many times killing that person in the process. I remember back when, uh, when Air Jordans were first out and kids in the inner cities were getting shot to death for their sneakers because they wouldn't hand them over. And that kind of stuff evidently still goes on. Now, as we seek the kingdom of heaven first, we can also look back at how God has provided in the past, both for ourselves and for others. The story of Abraham is a good example. God came to him one day and said, get up, go. I don't know if Abraham said where, if he asked where to or not, but God said, I'll show you. You just go. And Abraham went, and God provided for him. The story of Joseph. You think of how God provided for him in the prison and through, through his life. David said in a psalm that all through his life he had never seen the righteous forsaken. And we can all think of times when God provided for us sometimes in some pretty miraculous ways. One of my times in between, uh, excuse me, in between teaching jobs, we were um, living in Cincinnati. And it was a hard time. I had a hard time finding work. And we were down to, you know, our parents were helping us, but not as, as, much, as, uh, as much as they could. And I remember we were wondering, how are we going to afford basically this week's groceries. We came home, and there was $100 in cash stuck in our mailbox. We never did find out who it was from, but that was enough to keep it going. And God has, has done that for us uh, many, many times down through the years. We also need to remember that God is always working, even if we can't see it. Charles Spurgeon once said, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. God's plan for us is good, and Romans 8 tells us that it will be accomplished. We're told in that chapter that there is no power in heaven or on earth that can ever separate us from God's love. Now, if our Father is powerful enough to protect us from anything that would try to tear us away from him, he's certainly able to provide everything we need. We're fellow heirs with Jesus. Everything that the Father gives to the Son also belongs to us. Paul in Philippians 4.19 tells us that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ. We have needs, future needs, that we don't know anything about. But God does. And he's already got it planned out how he's going to provide. The King James translates verse 25 as, Take no thought. 
I read some commentators that said, well, that's a, an unfortunate translation because it makes it look like, well, don't worry about it. Don't take any thought. Don't do anything. I don't think that's what the English translators in the 17th century meant. I don't think they meant to say that we shouldn't think about things like our lives, our food, our clothing. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to be irresponsible and not plan or do what we need to do. I'll just sit here in my house and wait for God to provide everything that I need. I'll just let go and let God. We're, we're not taught anywhere in Scripture to do that. It is just as wrong to be lazy and not do what we can do as it is to be constantly worried about things. Think of the birds. All the birds we hear around us, God feeds them. But do they just sit there and wait for God to drop the food in their mouths? No. God provides for them by putting it out there, and then they go get it. They, they do what they're supposed to do to get their food. I do believe, though, that there is a sense that if we're truly trusting God, we will think less about having enough because we know that he will provide for us. So there is a sense that we won't take thought for what we need or so on in the sense that you know, it won't enter our minds necessarily. I think it boils down to what we value. If we value the things of this world, fame, power, wealth, comfort, we're going to naturally worry because those things will not last. And because they don't last, we have to continually try to replenish them. <clears throat> if we believe that it's up to us to provide, we're going to worry because we have to constantly strive. And some things we're not capable of providing. We like to think that we're in control. But then the things of this world start to control us and we become their slaves. If we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, then we learn to value those things that God values. Love, generosity, humility, mercy, a childlike dependency on God. We realize that we're not in control. And we give that control over to the one who created us. I remember telling people at times that we were, um, you know, we were living with no visible means of support. And sometimes it seemed like it. But God was taking care of us. We realize that we're not in control. And as we learn more and more of Jesus... We begin to trust him more and more. And we do worry less and less. The more we seek the true kingdom, the more we become like the true king, who wholly committed himself and everything he did into his father's hands, even to the point of falling asleep in a boat, in a storm that looked like it was going to send all of them to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. May we learn more and more to rest in the care 
of our loving Father. Remember, God's got this. Let's pray.